Hello there, and thanks for listening to our episode about Haosu. Just a quick note before we get started. Throughout this episode, we talk about the movie's depictions of violence, sexual content, and sometimes a mix of the two. The actual movie portrays these in a pretty comical, absurdist light, but just a warning in case that doesn't sound like something you're interested in listening to us talk about. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. You made that same joke last time. Every time you get a second match during the podcast, if you want to go even deeper with it, what you need to do is set your like text ringtone to it, and then just have like a friend text you. We should just open every episode with John making that same joke. But the thing is, I don't get matches I want. Yeah, it's sad at the end of it. That's a that's a part of the podcast, right? It's more. You brought the mood. All right, guys, I matched with Linda. She's twenty six. Yeah. She hates the podcast. She's a weird breach of personal info. <laughs> it says that on her Tinder profile, which yeah, is weird. Yeah, I guess it's public yeah. info, yeah. Because we haven't even released an episode yet. <laughs> All right. Uh, you are listening to Try Love. Um, I'm Jason. I'm Harry. Oh. I'm John. <laughs> I was yawning. Sorry. Yeah, I'm Aaron. I'm, I'm Harry. Start again. <laughs> yeah, this is already been built. <laughs> yeah. I'm sharing a mic Stellar with Aaron, work, so. guys. I was, like, burping and stuff. So today, third. I, we have our... Third? Yeah. Whatever. I don't care. We've it's already done formal. it. It's done. It's I think done. you Shut should up. go they third don't. because Aaron is the special guest. <laughs> yeah. special if, they're, guest if, they're, if they're listening, they've already heard. So hopefully they're not listening. But well, go. hopefully Wait, they're do not. Do, this cool. again? do we want to do this again? Okay. You're listening to Try Love. I'm Jason. I'm Harry. John. Aaron. Uh, Aaron is a special guest today. He's not usually on the podcast. He's not going to ever be again. Just laying the ground rules there. I think we're recording a second one right after this. I think that's not true, right? Mm, We might make you leave. I might (laughs) have security escort you from the premises. We'll see how how it goes. Jason almost didn't watch Wanda, and it would have been weird to kick you out of this office. It really would have been fun. But, you know, it's my office, so I can go, I don't know, do something in the corner. YouTube, baby. You got everything. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll talk about that later. Uh, so today we're talking John about... John works for YouTube, I guess. <laughs> uh, Trilon played uh, House on Halloween. I guess that's part of their tradition. Do they do that every year? Yeah, they do. Um, uh, at least that I know of, as long as I've been following them. Which is two years, I guess. Fair. Poser. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, uh, Trilon. House. Very house. Well-known. Well-known. <laughs> well-known cult. I Sorry I interrupted you. Aaron, Aaron is like leaning away from John's mouth. It's really hard. We're sharing a mic, you know, I gotta give him space. Yeah. I love to comment on the physical relationships of objects in this room that you can't oh, see. I yeah. love when podcasts do that. It is yeah. a tiny little room, nice and soundproof, but getting a little toasty. Um we're gonna convert this to video, you'll be able to see eventually. Yeah. <laughs> It'll have to be an aerial <laughs> shot straight Interns. down. You'll just see the top of our heads. Uh so House nineteen seventy seven This is the Japanese uh cult horror movie, also known AKA as Haosu, Haosu, which is just house in Japanese, so um yeah. So directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. 
I think so. Resident Japanese speaker, Harry. Rude dude. I do not speak Japanese. I want that on the record. Uh, um, and what did what did we think of this movie? Well, um, should we start with fuck. what actually it is about? How it was made and all that? What it's about? Are you kidding me? <laughs> what is this movie? Well, I mean, it is it is at its heart about seven girls who visit yeah. at one of their grandmother's houses and are aunt. slowly... It's a great aunt. Their, a great aunt. Uh, it might just be an aunt, but it's a it's a much older woman. Aunt, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it's an aunt. So yeah. visits their aunt's house, and each of them is devoured by the house. Yep. In and turn, that yeah. is some premise of it, right? I think that's the like very basic high very, level. That's all. It's good. That's all yeah. you need for the MacGuffin, maybe, if you will. To be specific, no one knows what this movie is about. <laughs> really, at its core, it's about I mean. the legacy of World War II and the effect it has on the younger generation. That's truer of. than you know, based <laughs> on what the director himself said about it. Like. Yeah. Oh, I'm having grown up in Hiroshima, <laughs> right? Like yeah, during and the world, lost during the Second World War. Many of his friends during the Hiroshima bombings. So he wanted to make a movie. Anyway, we should probably. I don't know. I don't know what I was. So say. Uh, we saw it at the Trilon Halloween. Um, what did you? What did you guys think of it? Just one liner. Like it? No. I mean, with a crowd, Halloween night. That, I think that's the perfect movie. Well, there's a lot of great movies to watch on Halloween, but this is up there because you know this is a popular among cult audiences. And when you see it at the Trilon, everyone is dressed up. Not everyone, but there's a lot of people dressed up um, and have been fans of this movie for a long time. I saw this in L.A. too with a packed crowd. Same experience like eight years ago, and so it's been living uh, that life for a long time of just cult favorite midnight type movie on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And on 35mm, which is the way to see this movie. Yeah, this is a good group movie, I think. I, it's not scary, really. Um, I no. mean, it's it's comical. What about that piano, dog? Uh, no, we'll get to the piano. Okay, <laughs> deeply disturbing scene in yeah. this film. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's not really a scary film. Um, it is, I mean, so we saw this. It packed crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it, it did sell out. It was uh, it was I, sold out, yeah. It surprised yeah. me. But few I people in line outside doing the, well, I'll wait until, until nobody shows mm-hmm. up and get a spot in here. But I think by the time the movie started, I think every single seat was full. Um, good environment to see. It seems like a good kind of midnight cult film. Yeah, um, I don't think I could have seen this movie in like a bigger theater. I think having this small, yeah. like very, it wasn't intimate. Like I wasn't talking to anybody during the movie or anything. But you could was, hear laughter. Yeah. You could hear people poking it each other like during watching, scenes. As most movies do at the trial, it kind of felt like you were watching it at your really rich friend's house kind of thing. Yeah, and, and that is the environment, I think, to see the movie. And I, we were talking, I wouldn't want to watch this by myself. You know. Shout outs also to the Trilon audiences. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I feel like consistently the Trilon has a really good audience. Like the people sure. in movie theaters generally are For like, the most part, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can be well, I mean, sometimes you get old people who like can't deal with it, but you're, like that's fine. You're sectioning off about thirty percent of our audience right now. <laughs> old yeah, people are gonna listen to this those. podcast. <laughs> They're getting with the times. Wow. I guess. Sorry, olds. Um but yeah, uh the Trilon audience is always pretty great, uh, and it was really fun to see this movie there. And it's a very uh, participatory film. Yeah, like, for not sure. In a way that like Rocky Horror might be. Yeah, it, just in case anybody doesn't know anything about this movie, it's wild. It's like I think it's it's been that called is, it's been called the weirdest movie ever made, right? Yeah, and it like is one of them, it, it's up there, right? Like yeah. I don't know if it's the weirdest movie ever made, whatever that means, but like it's it's uh, it's wild. Like there is. There's a so lot many, going on. Exactly. <laughs> there's so many genres involved. There's so many types of filmmaking styles. There's so many uh, plot points that make absolutely no sense. There's so much bad acting that turns out to be good acting for the yeah. premise. I mean, it's wow. just it's a it's like when you try to explain the room to someone, and the room is a much different movie than this. But it is like you have to just see it. Like you mm. can't describe it. So interesting corollary. Uh, 
you look like you're about to say something, Aaron. I was just going to say the first fourth of this movie, the only thing that I could think of while watching it was this is basically like a weird Japanese version of the Beatles' Yellow Submarine. Like that, the first fourth oh, of this movie. Sure. Is that that's the closest it comparison is, before school children useful. start getting, you know, well, ground in, in up and put in the clocks. The soundtrack is, is similar. similar. The soundtrack is similar. The animation style. Anim- there are animated There scenes. are animated sequences. There are, there's a scene where they're on a train and you see the outside of the train and it cuts to this kind of animated. It reminded me of like the, the animated sequence that pops up in the middle of um, Anchorman, weirdly, you know, like it's, oh, yeah, yeah it, it's the, or, or almost Monty Python-esque. Yeah, it uh, is very Monty. Uh, yeah. I just watched some Monty Python yeah. recently. It is very, uh, you know, Monty Python live action kind of cuts to this mm-hmm. weird little animated. And yeah, it reminded me of Yellow Submarine. And I was like, this is, I know there's going to be a bunch of uh, school children getting uh, killed in about 10 minutes here. But uh, <laughs> Hell yeah, the first dude. fourth of it is like sickly sweet. It's <laughs> yeah. it's very odd. Because yeah. you're being introduced to all those characters. <laughs> yeah. So I think that uh, I think that leads us into our next into the next good discussion point, which is how this movie actually like came about and was written. Being it was sort of the brainchild of uh, Obayashi, the director, but heavily inspired by, in some cases, directly inspired by his daughter. Uh, the pre-teen the actual daughter. movie says story by Chigumi Obayashi, oh, who it? is his preteen daughter. Yeah. So yeah, this um, script was written. Not, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go but ahead. It was written by somebody else, and it he was wasn't supposed to. Di- Obayashi wasn't supposed to direct it because. He wasn't part of the Toho. Is that the production yeah. company? Yeah. Like contracts. He wasn't contracted as director for them. So he was trying to, I think he was wanting to direct it for years, but he wasn't he, allowed he to. He was. He wanted yeah. to direct it and he petitioned to direct it yeah. pretty directly. There's a whole story Directed behind directly. that. Yeah. Uh, but specific in- specific sequences, specific deaths and stuff even came directly from his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole conceptual into. premise. Yeah. If you, um, the Wikipedia <laughs> uh, says this, but... Um, uh, a bunch of the like specific beats, including like you said, the specific deaths. The girl but, in the clock, the mirror, but also the know, staring uh, back at you. just the whole premise of a house that eats people mm-hmm. was like her jumping off point, um, and uh, that that direction from his daughter informed not only the plot of the movie but also the way the movie was shot and the way the effects worked. Um, mm-hmm. Obayashi made these special effects. There are a lot of special effects in this movie, um, and they're. Uh, Appropriately, just They're wild and silly. off the wall, and yeah. purposely bad is what he said. Yeah, like he that's right. He fake. he wanted them to look yeah. re- unrealistic on purpose. Oftentimes, um, they made is that the, a cover? Is is that a cop out? Now, I he said that he wanted them to look like they were done by a little girl's imagination. Sure, um, I could see that. There are ways which fits with the themes of the movie. I think right. in a really interesting way. I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he also did say that he did make some special effects without knowing how they would. That's come right. Out. Uh, he and did then them he saw like, them the next day and was like, "Oh, I guess this looks one, like this now." One yeah. take or like one they they filmed it once and they had no idea how it would look and they just rolled with it. That is maybe uh, a little apparent at certain points. I yeah. Think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, not in a bad way though. I think it's like the, the movie, like it creates a premise where anything can happen, right? Where like there's just this house and it's haunted uh, and like shit gets wild <laughs> and like it works within that. Yeah, the, the backgrounds that he creates, like you see the dad's house at the beginning. I mean that, it's obviously a very fake background, but it's so intended that way. And so that fits along with all the shitty blue screen effects that you see in the movie. And the acting is, you know, simultaneously has that same shitty style. I mean, because all those are non-actors, except for, I think, Fantasy was an actor. Fantasy was an actor, and I believe uh, Gorgeous, uh, Kimiko Ikigami, yeah. uh, at least went on to act. I don't know if this was, yeah. like, an early role for her. But even um, them had very limited acting experience. Yeah, and Yoko um, Minamita. Was that 
was, was the, the auntie. Aunt? Yeah. yeah, auntie is her name in the auntie. thing. None of the characters have names. They're named after their character traits. There's you... gorgeous, fantasy, sweet. Um, Kung Fu. Mac. Kung Fu, my favorite, Ma- yeah. Mac, I thought was... <laughs> Mac just eats a lot. That's yeah. her thing, is I, her character eats a lot. I, I went back and watched the movie again, uh, accompanied by um, some directorial interviews uh, on the Criterion release, and one of the things that he said about the naming of the characters was that he had the characters all named before like anything about the story was written. <laughs> like He knew exactly okay. the names of the characters he wanted, and Mac... Is named apparently after the word stomach. Yeah, yeah. stomach. Which, which is, is a little last than I would have thought. I thought Big Mac. I think we all. I thought that. McDonald's. Yeah, there's a, there's a line where one of the girls says, uh, "You know, oh, she she eats a lot, so we call her Mac." And yeah. I was like, "That must." I don't be know McDonald's. what does that mean. Yeah, is that McDonald's? It's also but, stomach. I guess kind of. Yeah, makes right. Sense. Uh, it's also worth noting that they make a lot of shitty fat phobic jokes about yeah. her, despite the fact that the actress is exactly the same size as every other. <laughs> She's just wearing like a pantsuit. Not that, that it would like be not, not that it would be better or more fitting. appropriate to make fun of her if she was larger yeah. than they are. But like it's it's so nineteen seventy seven that they make fat jokes and she's just like not even fat at all. Yeah. yeah. No. She's always eating in this film. I mean, it's it's like that. She's, I mean, she dies yeah. pretty early. But yeah, yeah, she does. Oh, oh, and die. then she, she gets is. eaten. She gets eaten in turn. I mean, it's the movie does not oh. cut her a break. Yeah, I think it's deep. It's There's deep, levels man. here. Yeah, <laughs> this um, movie is deep. She's anyway. eating. She's always looking for when she's not eating. She's saying, "Oh, I just, mm, I just need to go find some food somewhere." I mean, it's, it's she dies going out to get food, right? Going out to get the watermelon. I think isn't so. it? She does. Yeah. Uh, yes, and yes. Then she they wheel up her head out of the yeah yeah. They replace the watermelon in the well with her head in the well. It's very good. And then she bites uh, somebody's ass. Who who goes out to see her? I think it's I think it's sweet, sweet okay. melody we, maybe. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've probably passed the point when we can do like a beat by beat breakdown of this movie. Do you want to talk about? I did want to talk about the beginning specifically. I know I touched I upon it beginning. a little yeah. bit. Let's talk about the but beginning. The, let's talk about how this movie got made. Maybe first twenty five minutes of this movie. Um, it, it's a like a surprisingly long first act. For surprisingly sure. long first act. Surprisingly weird. Minutes. It's 88 minutes? 80, I thought yeah, it was longer than that. minutes. Huh. So it's maybe, yeah, maybe 20 minutes, maybe 25, maybe 25 minutes. Um, and everything leading up to pretty much when they actually get to the house um, is is weird, but in a way that is is really hard to pin down and that it is so jumbled all over the place and kind of a, in kind of a cool way. It is, um, yeah. But there's little touches. Like one thing I specifically wrote down to talk about was the way that, uh, might be worth going in the plot here, but the way that the stepmother is is filmed in this and framed yeah and framed in this is always so has wind odd. blowing on her always has her scarf on she like like soft lighting and lensing that makes her look angelic and sort of otherworldly kind of dead already it's very yeah. classic hollywood looking it reminds me of casablanca or some you know but and obviously like a like a chopped and screwed yeah. take on that but even those shots they feel from the 19 like 1940s american hollywood and I, and also this movie, not to like change subjects, but it was very um, inspired by Jaws in terms of trying to achieve box office results, which, <laughs> you know, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> that was, that, that's the first thing that the, again, I hate to go back to the Wikipedia, no. but like the first thing that the Wikipedia production says is like, oh, Toho saw Jaws and they were like, let's do a Jaws yeah. film. And <laughs> exactly. this is the movie it's, that uh, came out of that. There's a, great story. There's a great story behind all of that and how it was made, uh, yeah. specifically with like why it was made. It was very commercial endeavor to begin with. And Nobody really believed that's in that kind wild. Of thing. Yep. Uh, what were you going to say about the, the stepmom? Well, I was just going to say, just to, I guess, maybe kind of set up the beginning of this. I mean, the, the, I guess you could say the main character here is, is gorgeous. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, she's the only she, one you learn she kind of, she kind of 
goes pretty early though yeah, as she, well. well Very she's, weird. She's possessed and maybe never resurfaces from that yeah. possession. Yeah. So yeah. she it's kind of dragged out, right? Throughout the whole thing. Sort there's of? yeah, and there are like conceptual arguments to be made about yeah. like is this in her head? Is yeah. this sort of like a sure. like a um metaphorical <laughs> So, so she at the very beginning of the movie um, is uh, is going on some sort of vacation, a trip with her father, who is uh, kind of a great film composer, who uh, kind of hilariously better than Sergio Leone. According, no, Ennio Morricone. No, Morricone. Yeah. Sergio yeah. Leone said that about him, according uh, to the movie. He returned from a, an Italian oh, film so shoot, good. and he said, "Ah, Sergio Leone said that I am even better than Morricone," which is such a weird, <laughs> weird thing flex. just to have a one weird line. flex, the most but okay. Seventies thing ever said about a movie composer. It is, and so uh, so she is going on a trip with her father. Um, instead of on a separate trip with the rest of her school children, uh, you know, kung fu, prof, fantasy, the rest of the characters. Uh, and her father says, well, okay, well, there's someone coming along with us on this trip. I've met a woman. You know, it's been, I don't know, 10 years since your mother passed away. And I've met a, met a woman that I really love. She is going to be your, your stepmother. Your new mom is what he says specifically, which is like yes. such a... Such a um, infamous movie code for like don't like this character it's like she's gonna be your new mom it's like oh (laughs) great and uh gorgeous reacts the way that a teenage girl would react to that right where Mm -hmm. she goes into her room and she takes out a bunch of pictures of her dad and her mom and her and she scribbles out her dad's face yeah the beginning 20 minutes of this movie is not a horror movie in any way and does not does not even match any of the styles that come further on in the movie i mean it turns into such a balls out like violence gratuitous exploitation film in some ways while the first 20 minutes is fun lighthearted, almost japanese commercial looking which is interesting because uh obiachi had a huge Ooh, japanese commercial yeah background. that's a great point but it, it seems like that to me at least and maybe that's yeah. just my american perspective but it, it seems like feels like a series of commercials for yeah, something exactly every segment uh, feels it's really... all very idyllically shot um interestingly like the music remains the same throughout and the music is a much better fit for that sort of commercial style like it's this it's this um catchy but like like really overly sweet what's the word i'm looking for something that saccharin saccharin is exactly yeah yeah that's Um, a good word you didn't fist bump me can we hear this wait another great podcast moment. yeah exactly (laughs) watch Uh, our twitch stream everybody you can see this (laughs) hey guys let's um but uh it's it's this ridiculous saccharin uh piano soundtrack and it remains throughout the movie even when the house starts devouring girls in a in a way that's really funny and interesting yeah um but yeah the the beginning is is like also it's it's not just conceptually weird or like mm. acted weird it's also shot very strangely right like exactly. there's a lot of what i guess you would call experimental lighting and like uh cine- cinematography where like i think mm. there are like a lot of like split shots or like uh, lots of weird cuts and yeah. sort of like there's a segment where it literally just changes to like a 16 millimeter type projection format where it's like in a little box. And I can't remember which segment. Sec- that might have been later. Is that on. the World War II flashback? They no, no, no. This was, then, it was a different part near the end. I think they do it a couple times. If yeah. Oh, okay. Correctly. But there was a part that was very specific to a real. I, I think it was the watermelon guy. I can't remember. But it came out of nowhere, like because the the flashbacks make sense. You're watching old footage. That's my f- yeah. I, yeah, I lo- I like that scene a lot. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but the one part where it switched that real made like there's no reason for it, and I don't know why. But that's almost the entire movie. It's just oh, I just want to do this because it's fun or it's mm-hmm. something like it's experimental. Uh, his commercials I heard were a lot like that. I researched a little bit, 
and the commercials were very avant-garde and uh, the, sure. s- the style was all over the place and I think that's why people are looking to him as an up-and-coming director. Yeah, that's that's one thing I wanted to talk about and if nobody minds, yeah, I'll just Get go it. into that. Uh, again, this is all coming from Constructing a House, which is the um, interviews and uh, short documentary series that they did for the Criterion release of the movie. But uh, Obayashi was – he explained that um, – Audiences for film, Japanese films in the sixties had sort of dwindled, and it was people. A lot of people thought that the actual whole like film industry in Japan in Japan was dying, mm-hmm. and that yeah, I read a bit about going. that too in the Criterion essay. Yeah. Uh, said something similar, specifically for like the age of television, that people were watching more television at home. They weren't really going to movies, so uh, he got work initially after like his very experimental uh, early films, short films. Uh, he got work as a commercial director, mm-hmm. and this is what John's talking about, where he sort of developed his style there. Yeah. Um, and he uh, eventually, like, the reason that he took commercials, he said, is because he didn't like, excuse me, he didn't have any sort of like level of shame to which yeah. his other to which his peers wouldn't really dip. <laughs> like, he was was not too proud to do commercials, even though wow, his friends and what a deeply were. unsurprising thing to hear from the director of health. <laughs> Yeah. He had huge actors, American actors, like Charles Bronson was in one. Uh, I, I saw one with David Niven, I think. Yeah. Like, he was he was n- not an unknown name in the commercial sphere, but it was not, like, his first movie. Uh, and he he really liked having commercials as his main work because he said that there were bigger uh, budgets, bigger audiences, uh, some more creative freedom. One specific quote that I really liked from him because it echoes throughout House uh, is that in a commercial, this is Obayashi speaking, in a commercial, you could shoot a glorious blue sky and it may have had no meaning, but being able to show a beautiful blue sky uh, seemed wonderful on an artistic level. That's great. Awesome. Like, I agree with that. Yeah. And he got that from commercials. Like he didn't envision that on the big screen or anything. Yeah, but. that relationship is fascinating because like this is maybe just me pulling stuff out of my ass. Because I've been listening to a lot of uh, Shibuya-ki music lately, which is, uh, is it's that? it's a music movement from the 1990s, largely. It's sort of like, uh, it's a broad musical genre movement, so it doesn't really have like a like a really big endpoint. A style or uh, No, it, it is, it's all, it, it's music that is pointedly commercial in nature. Hmm. Um, it, it's a reaction to, and not necessarily against, but sort of in coordination with, uh, commercial Muzak, like the stuff that you would mm. hear in Shibuya um, shopping centers. Okay. Shibuya is a, a shopping district in Tokyo. Um, and uh, in the 90s, a bunch of artists started making music that was sort of pointedly commercial in nature from the start. And then they like took it in, in weird and interesting directions. So it sounds like like curated Muzak, but it is bespoke and was, like can bespoke. i say is it japanese uh like elevator music Would exactly that be... like that okay but <laughs> okay. but like but like it's it's not really it's meant to sound like that while also being its own thing is it mm-hmm. is it vaporwave music like, it's, do it's, we just need like, to bring that up we need like to have this conversation yeah it's i like know proto vaporwave music yeah, yeah a lot like that all the all the song titles have like weird like wingding symbols <laughs> you know for the it's, titles it's, it's yeah. much better than that uh, okay in my opinion uh but but it in it's interesting to t- to think about how the the sort of like reaction to commercialism and sort of like how artists were thinking about mm-hmm. like how art was shifting to become commercial and sanitized yeah, and how I think that there's a really interesting reading of this movie as sort of a reaction to that because this this movie is so obviously um like a take on 
classic horror tropes with like the haunted house and like the the group of girls yeah. and it's like it's such a but with none of the meat of horror like he did not want it to be a horror film specifically sure. really so, yeah That's, huh wow yeah, on it's, paper, it's a traditional horror film, and then it's anything but. It's, a, it's an experience. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really just you're warped into this guy's vision, and it's, you're just living in his world, and that's why it stands out. Yeah. It's been I mean, the second half is like barely a movie, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's just, just phantasmagorical. Kind of I mean, honestly, I think it makes David Lynch look like Steven Spielberg. Just a <laughs> director. It's like, okay, David Lynch, you're just boring. I'm going to use Spielberg as the pivot point back to yeah. how this movie was made. Uh, it was because they, uh, the Japanese film industry saw the success of Jaws. Well, that's probably not going to sound great. They saw the success of Jaws in America by Steven Spielberg, who's it was what his third or fourth movie. He was kind of mm-hmm. young, not really proven in the industry yet, yeah. but he was cheap and he was very effective, and it was a smash hit. Mm-hmm. So that is the connection to Jaws: is that they said we want a Jaws, not necessarily like in theme or in genre, but just in like cost to success ratio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they just wanted a very successful, very profitable movie. movie. Yeah. Hey, can wow, you make us right. a lot of revenue with Incredibly very little cost. Yeah, driven. Um, There's so many directors that turned it down because they looked at the script and they're like, "What the fuck does this mean? Yeah. This is nonsense." But yeah. but that's kind of what I'm saying about Shibuya Key too. It's like I think House, the it, which came out in 1977, so not that long after Jaws in 75. So yep. Star Wars came out, right? It, uh, did Star Wars come out in 77? Yeah. the first one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is like the best possible conclusion to that it's like <laughs> we want to make something that's safe and hyper commercial and what you got was house that's like the best that's my favorite thing now that's yeah. that's it's like a joke like, yeah it's the best <laughs> he pitched it to a studio execs uh yeah. and like he said one of them was toho and um like john was saying sorry uh, one of them was toho and they all loved it but they're like all of our directors either are busy or they don't want to take this because it's absolute batshit <laughs> like nobody's yeah. nobody can make heads or tails of this script or what the movie might be about, but we do want to make it. Like, they essentially greenlit it, is what Obayashi mm-hmm. said at the time. Um, he said that it only took three hours to convince them to actually greenlight it, but that, like, they sort of hedged because they're like, oh, yeah, we love it. It's great, but nobody can make it. That's too bad. And he's like, how about I make it? Mm-hmm. And he was not on with Toho at the time, so they didn't feel comfortable giving him the project. And he said, before he left the meeting, he's like, but it is greenlit, right? Like, you want to make this. How much of this was like, yeah, no, yeah, we're we're uh, we're taking a look at that. Yeah. We're we're looking at your film. We've read this. It looks I would, great. I hey, man, <laughs> looks great. Given what he did next, I would assume it was a very warm reception to like actually making the movie, but with the full knowledge that they weren't going to kind of thing. Because what he did then uh, was he started to pressure Toho to actually make the movie by. <laughs> Printing business cards with the house poster on them, which Fuck not yeah. the cover of this, but it's the one with the tongue of the house oh, sure. displayed over the lawn. Mm-hmm. He wrote, he drew that up. He had it printed on business cards, and he started giving it out to people, saying, "Toho is making house, everybody. I'm yeah, directing Toho." That's amazing. That is a time wise album right there. Obayashi rules, dude. So I hope incredible. this guy doesn't suck because oh he sounds like I, I want to be his not. best you know, friend. I looked at interviews of him in preparation for this episode, and he's just singing in front of the audiences randomly, and like, yeah. and that, weird. that's what they said about his presence on set yeah. as well. Is yeah. that I believe that this was shot over a very short period of time. It was like a few weeks, and he was like a manic pixie dream girl on yeah. set where like he was like singing and like having fun and like biking around places he, and he wanted the girls because they're all non-actors and he he said that the performances they put on initially were terrible so he wanted to get them in the mood of just happy go lucky you know that that commercial type uh vibe so he played really happy charming music throughout the uh production and to get them in that mood and that's i think you can see it obviously comes off on the film they're, like mm-hmm. they're just 
it looks like super traditional Japanese commercials. Yeah, right? he, yeah. he actually, uh, which leads pretty comfortably into the next point, he actually played the soundtrack to this movie while they were like filming the movie. Because it took two years between him doing this, between him like selling the movie on it. Thank you. Was that a Tinder match? Yeah, what the fuck you. <laughs> but literally was. Was uh, it really? I was joking oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> There's the door. Wanna, ask him if they want to talk about house. <laughs> uh, in the two years that it took them to actually like start making this movie, in this whole time that he was just ramping it up, he just I don't know how he must have squirreled around like licensing or like how would he was allowed to do, but he got enough support from his um, time as, as, like, an experimental film director, short films and stuff, uh, that he actually got, like, a multimedia blitz behind this movie before it even existed. There was a manga. There was a radio drama. There was merch. There was everything about this I'm going to need all that merch. Yeah. I, same, I want all that merch. I would recommend watching. I don't know if it's anywhere but on the Criterion release, but, like, they have pictures and video of these things <sighs> going on, and it is just the most incredible media spectacle because it's all the aesthetics of the posters and of everything about the movie except, like, scenes from the movie because it didn't exist yet. Right. And he sold them on it for two years before Toho was finally, Which like, totally fits comfortably with the commercialized nature and aesthetic this of this movie. This was a movie, movie it's like a hyper... created to fulfill its marketing. Right. And, and like, I love how incongruous that is. Like you could, I could see something like Jaws happening the same way. It didn't, but like you could see it happening, right? Where like, like movie as event, where it's like before a movie comes out, we're going to do everything to like make people believe that this is going to be a hit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We're going to hit all the notes with like the merch and the the almost like a tour promoting the movie and yeah, like. Yeah. Like, we want this to be in everybody's thoughts before the movie comes out, and then this is the movie you get. It's like, it's such a great bait and switch. Um, there's I, something I really punk this. about that, and I know that's probably not the intention necessarily. It's more complicated he was like than 39 that. Thirty nine when this movie got made, right. so he was an aging punk at the now, time. Nowadays, they you know they do a press run where they're like, seventeen people fainted at Sundance watching this movie. Right. People <laughs> were walking out. Three people vomited. One person yeah. died. You know that would be the modern day press run. <laughs> like twelve people have seen the movie. movie. But in yeah. this case, they had like origami sets and all sorts of just. Just wild things that, like, you would expect from, like, the lead up to a movie's release or right after its release or, like, capitalizing on its uh, theatrical run, but two years before the movie even came out. So by the time that it actually came out, it had a huge fan base, specifically with the radio drama. Apparently that was very successful. And they were building this from the script that was already written. I need to hear that radio drama. I want to hear that radio drama. We got to find it. And, and like, even the movie itself makes, like, sort of references to that now that I'm thinking. I don't speak Japanese. I can't hear that radio drama. I just thought, like, no, wait, no, that's that's a dumb thing to say yeah yeah damn uh but it was i believe it in its initial theatrical run there's a it was a double feature right with a a much more conventional i believe a romantic comedy Mm -hmm. and it was called like hearts in mud or what was it called i don't remember it's on again it's on the wikipedia but but yeah in in hausu in this movie there's a reference to that movie Uh, yeah it's really fast but uh i I think it's when like one of the girls falls in mud or something and throughout the movie whenever all the girls are together this is one of my favorite parts about the movie the the girls provide like a running commentary of what's happening it, like it's it's like almost stand in for writing where they just literally like point and comment at what's going on but like <laughs> this is ridiculous <laughs> yeah that's somebody says that at some point but uh but at one point, one of the girls falls in mud, and they're all sort of, like, talking about it. And one of them is like, it's like Hearts in Mud, which is the movie that was playing, like, with the other movie. Oh it's, like, God. it's the weirdest thing because, like, th- that was memorable to me because I was like, what the fuck is that reference? Like, I've never heard that. And then I looked it up, and it was like, oh, wait. It's literally a reference to the movie that everyone in the movie theater would have just seen. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, Obayashi honestly like made a movie just for him, which I really appreciate. And you can say that a lot about a lot of movies, where you know this is my movie. Mm. You know, and there's a lot of modern directors that do that, but I don't know this movie is just so his just a passion project at heart, like more than most he's, horror movies or most Japanese. He films. said that he like he cast all of his friends in it, is what he said. Yeah. Because right. like we already said, the actors and actresses were largely taken from the commercials he had worked on. Some of them were more established. Uh, some of them were less. But uh, the like, yeah, pretty much everything about this movie that actually made it into the movie mm-hmm. was somehow predestined, somehow mm-hmm. foreshadowed in the two years before it was actually made up to the point where, like, again, the soundtrack was written and produced and released before the movie ever came out. And he was playing it on set yeah. to get better performances out of them. And I didn't write it down, but the composer of like the piano piece that every, that keeps like the re- re- recurring theme, the Great one that, main theme. Great theme. It is. It's, a, it's, it is a really great. It, theme. it does help that it's played for maybe twenty six minutes, <laughs> just consecutively. Yeah. 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 Right. During most <laughs> yeah. of the violent death scenes, music is constant in this movie. Yeah, it's yeah. like everywhere, and it, there are like there are like at least three um, like full tracks with uh, vocal performances during them, mm-hmm. like in the middle of the movie. In some cases, right? Yeah, it's yeah. wild. Uh, and that initial. Um, more classical theme and how it doesn't fit at all was written by something somebody completely different from the actual like performers and writers of the rest of the soundtrack. Oh. Oh. It was, I think it was, I don't think they direct, connected this directly, but they showed a picture of, I think his last name was Kobayashi, the director mm-hmm. composer of that, and he was a known composer and he had worked with uh, Obayashi before. But he composed this piece, and he said, "This is too ridiculous a movie. I can't do the whole soundtrack. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kill my career right Fair. out the gate." Yeah. So he's like, "I will star in it, and I will write this piece. But the rest is up to you." He's and the guy that says "house" right at the beginning is that maybe? Him? But I think showing pictures, I think he's the watermelon guy. Yeah, that's him. Whoa! I think he's the same house. guy house. at the very beginning yeah. of the movie as the title splash. That that would make sense because yeah. he was he was pretty closely involved. I think he's. That's the best intro when the watermelon reveals his face, and it's just the goofiest. It's hilarious. Yeah, might be my favorite part. Watermelon guy is maybe the most underrated part of it. I mean, it's it's he's like he's like weirdly creepy in like a really classical horror way, where like oh yeah, before you enter the like the main like scary place, the haunted house, there's like this this like. Uh, Sharon, almost this like this guide who like who like is setting up what's to come. Who and, knows like, what's going on? Right. There's like know. this, and he does eventually. It turns yeah. out that he's just like, which is also a really funny scene where like at the end of the movie, when the teacher's coming to ostensibly rescue the girls from the haunted house, the teacher pulls up and he asks the watermelon guy, who like is a a roadside watermelon seller near the house, who originally gives the girls directions to the house, and he's like, hey, uh, do you know where the house is? Do you know where these girls are? And he's like, oh yeah, the house ate them, dude. <laughs> it's just like oh yeah those those girls are gone they were eaten yeah. by that house man and it like completely like offhandedly and like like uh it's hilarious and, um, then, yeah. and then the teacher gets turned into bananas bananas yeah just yeah, a, yeah. just that got like, the biggest reaction of the crowd is in terms of laughs because it made no like it yeah. wasn't foreshadowed it was just him saying bananas bananas everywhere cuts away from him and then later like without fanfare his car is still in the exact same place right yeah. when the step and he's just bananas by. instead <laughs> uh so yeah, that that sort of does explain a lot of how this movie came together is because it was boy, it was a thought like imagine thinking of your like best idea for your debut and 2 years later having to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Would you be sick of that idea? Would you still be very yeah, enthusiastic about it? Sorry to mean. But there's something there's something to me that's so like it's a weird movie to say is uplifting, right? But like there's something to me about like how in the in sort of in a similar way to Shibuya Key music, like uh in the face of like corporate 
sterilization and homogenization of art and culture like this movie was supposed to be something else yeah like it was almost set up like the the corporate universe conspired to make it something it was supposed to be jaws right like it was supposed to be this <laughs> thing this like it was supposed to make everybody a lot of money and be a household name for a long time so that everyone could be very rich and it was supposed to establish obayashi as like a premier film director the spielberg right, was, right? Supposed like to be the spielberg of japan at this time which is crazy to think about in the yeah like, name another film that he did that wasn't last year right like, right you don't know him because this didn't do that and and instead we got this bonkers off the wall in my opinion maybe this is me being a pretentious dick but like Mm -hmm. in my opinion legitimately subversive movie in a really interesting way um but mostly just this this like off the wall ridiculous anti-commercial experiment uh yeah and it's i think a lot of people might think like oh it's just a you know because it's so intentionally shitty that it's just a fuck you film that doesn't mean anything but it legitimately the set design and the amount of integrity that goes into the visuals like on a very practical level i think is uh really sophisticated in a way it honestly because the actual set design feels like something from a really great classic horror movie he just happens to put weird blue screen it does uh there's like a great geography to the house you yeah. you get to know the house pretty well yeah and, exactly. and it's individual rooms and mm-hmm. sort of like uh there's there's no internal logic to the way that the the house kills people <laughs> but mm-hmm. like it's it makes it doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm if not... you took out the weird <laughs> effects that he does, all the blue screen shit, I think it would be legitimately creepy and a much different movie. It's a good but, set, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, which it's really weird that you say like it had a good sense of space because it shouldn't. There right, are, like, <laughs> maybe a dozen different stagings of that house, and like half of them include very fake looking backgrounds and like skyscapes. It should not be as cohesive as it is, and yeah. yet like yeah, you do get a, a never really comfortable because it's a creepy fucking place, mm-hmm. but like a sense of like the size and scale and layout of the place weirdly like it's just that sort of experimental style yeah that he again just flew by the seat of his pants on because he had only directed things like 60 seconds at a time mm-hmm. prior to that and then he's doing an 88 minute movie God, that's funny it reminds I, me i don't know if you, have you guys seen ujetsu which is a great japanese horror movie but it reminds me a lot of that just the weird avant-garde funny version of it because ujetsu is somewhat similar in the set design but it's actually you know, dramatic horror film, but, uh, the, yeah, it's, uh, it's somewhat Kurosawa and it's like very basic, uh, set design and practical vision. But then it's just like on top of that, there's so much other shit going on. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, It's funny. You should bring up Kurosawa because again, in this documentary, he was, uh, Obayashi was talking about how he and his cinematographer were, or he didn't really have a cinematographer. He said it was just the cameraman who he just trusted to like get the right shots sort of thing. Uh Uh, And he said that between him and his cameraman, he would, like, occasionally think, how am I going to frame this shot? How am I going to do this? And then they'd think, like, no, they did that in, you know, Seven Samurai or they did that in one of Ozu's films or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what would piss them off the most if they saw this (laughs) movie? No way. Really? (laughs) Like, what is going to make them the angriest if Kurosawa were to see this film? Where is he going to see, like... Uh, they stole that from me or whatever, and he's yeah. like, "Let's do that. Let's let's get that shot in the movie." That's, <laughs> that's the right. best. That's the best approach yeah. to a film oh ever. God. I just I love this guy more and more. The more and more he yeah, talks seriously. about the movie, he's uh, a legitimately punk rock film director. It, was, it seems like great. it, right? Yeah. In, in like a weird, complicated, hilarious way. Yeah. He even like uh, this is the last I'll talk about like the making of the movie until later, but until later, uh, <laughs> but he um, down to the point where like apparently at the time it was taboo to name film to give foreign names to films uh, in Japan and so he's like feeling like this movie would never get made right after it got greenlit he specifically gave it the like English name house 
because he's like, it's never going to get made anyway. I might as well give it something that's Which is F you to the film industry. I, I love that, that everything in this movie, it feels like that seems totally like incongruous and, and uh, ridiculous and campy has like some sort of point to it. Uh, about because like like the name house is the most like like dramatically normal and yeah uh like generic name for anything ever like it's literally two, just called house there's two horror movies called house since then i think in the 2000s and oh really 90s, yeah it sounds like like if, if i ever told a friend about this who hadn't seen the movie who hadn't had no idea about this movie I think like their first impression would probably be like a shitty Dennis Quaid movie from 1996 yeah, or something. Which I <laughs> like think probably not is. at all. This zany, batshit, colorful, and like I feel like we're probably thing. doing a pretty poor job of of describing what this movie is actually like for people who haven't seen it. It's very but like, hard, though. right? That's what I'm saying is that like, but like, it's just because like there's not really a good way to do that, right? Because like it's not it's not incoherent. It is tonally especially all over. I mean, someone yeah. will be, be getting, you know, murdered in one place and then there'll be this kind of slapstick scene in the yeah. other. Someone will be, uh, uh, the scene specifically where the, the girl's getting, Melody is getting eaten by the piano. I mean, there is a, there is a bit, I think, where she like, you know, her disembodied head is kind of floating in the corner and she looks down at her own body being eaten by the piano and like kind of laughs about it. She's, She's like, oh, it's like, that's naughty. That's naughty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's like a close to being upskirt shot of her. Yeah. Hands, like flailing around in the keys. Yeah. Oh, in, in all of her parts, like her legs and head and breasts. I, that's a, another weird point. There's a lot of nudity in this movie, mm-hmm. like it's, dramatically more nudity than you would expect, especially from like 18-year-old actors, which is like maybe yeah. not great. Like he, that uh, kind of sucks, huh? He had um, some stuff to say about that, too. Oh, really? Well, specifically with regard to um, it's Gorgeous, who has, I believe, the first like mostly nude scene where she's bathing. Yeah, she's bathing. like crawling up yeah. her back. Really creepy shot. That's a movie. like really a legitimately, well legitimately well done horror shot. shot. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't go on about it, but there are a couple shots in this movie that genuinely scared me. Like it's not oh, a scary sure. movie, but just for like a half yeah. a second, you're terrified. Yeah. But uh, it was, and I'm forgetting the actress's name, but the one who played Auntie. Uh, That's uh, Yoko Min, uh, Minamita. She Minamita, uh, I think. Probably Gor- sorry. Gorgeous's actor was nervous about you know exposing herself on screen for the first time she hadn't really done it before and then apparently this other actress came up to her and was like listen gave her this whole like very actory spiel about actors actresses are like only truly actresses when they're naked because you put on clothing on top of that and you're costumed and <laughs> that's such an creepy... actress thing to yeah, say she was pretty well established at this time. i have to show my ass to sell this movie exactly. <laughs> that sounded like tommy was that's what i was going for yeah oh, oh that's true. exactly that's yeah exactly uh, and so she like convinced her to do so by like disrobing in front of her and said like now we're both naked and then obayashi was like i'm gonna give her a nude scene too and then gave the ant a nude scene too this guy's such a fucking weirdo (laughs) he built scenes in the movie around having seen a a naked woman he's like a 13 year old in a 39's body jesus christ it's just crazy this fucking god um Um, all of all of this movie feels Female centric though, and like female POV in a way that a lot of yeah, horror no, movies like, don't. Even even in those shots where like you're seeing disembodied breasts and like a naked woman rising from the bath, it doesn't feel like super. It's literally most just of the time. like took out a picture of someone's breast and just cut it out in Photoshop with no other post production. Right, right. Super uh, and yeah. it is it is juxtaposed or or set against literally just strobing yeah. red and white lights. It's, yeah. it's literally just a disembodied breasts on a screen and then strobing red and white lights. It's the least amount of effort you can do in post-production effects, which is it's like worse an, for the film. It's like an Ano Hideki uh, 
end of Evangelion yeah. thing. There's probably there's some overlap there. I feel like, but that's a whole. Yeah, reminds, did you guys ever see Birdemic, that B movie that came yeah. out? Yeah, no. it's like that. Yeah. <laughs> but that movie is obviously a different thing. Uh, but uh, I was gonna say, but yeah, this is like to me, it's a crowd movie. I I watched this in my apartment like five years ago with a friend, and we shut it off after twenty minutes because he's like. Yeah, no. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. And you, it's the vibe is so much different if you're at home with a couple of people. I mean, you have to be yes. on board, right? Like, it, you have unless, to be here for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. If there are people that... bucks for a ticket to get in, it's like... I mean, I'd already seen the movie once before, and I've seen it once since, so it's not like I didn't I didn't want to go see the movie, but at the same time, I don't know that, like, Eight I would have just sat down. What was it? Huh? Huh? Nothing. Yeah, it's... What? Oh, I was making fun of Jason for saying he paid eight bucks. Oh. Like, that was like, oh, eight bucks. We can cut this out. Uh I was financially invested by the time I was sitting down (laughs) with everybody. Uh, I want to touch one last thing on, again, the actress of Auntie. I'm not going to make you repeat her name because it sounds like it hurt the first time. I'm just bad at it. I apologize. Uh, It's Yoko uh, Minamita, I believe. So Minamita, uh, apparently, again, at the time, just like signs of the Japanese film industry, she, there was apparently like genuine ageism in the industry where if an actress played an actress or a character older than she was or in a certain age group she could never go back to playing a younger actress so this actress was maybe in her mid late 30s and she's playing a woman in her 60s so she's like I'm really going to commit to this role because I will never play a young woman again like you have me for this movie I'm going to play a 60 year old and that's going to be it like this might be my last movie it wasn't I guess yeah she died in like the late 2000s, I think. She's great time. in this movie. It, it yeah. should be she said. She really was. The, the other shot that really scared me was specifically her when she crawls back into the refrigerator. Just yeah, yeah, very good shot. Oh, my fucking. It's a very good scene. Because things are going on in the front, and you're, like, following her dancing around, and then she just slides, just slithers yeah. back in. And then the she hook. appears in the, like, foreground right after that in the rafters. Oh. She's just, like, everywhere. Actually, like, a very interesting around. shot. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. is. Super it well is. Uh, uh, a lot of the shots in this movie are really well composed, I thought. Not careless. That's one thing about this movie that I discovered upon second watch, which was the one at the Trilon. I'd only ever seen it once before. But, like, none of it feels messy. Like, some of it's experimental. Some of it's not as clean as, you know, mo- uh, maybe other contemporary movies. But it's not, it doesn't feel like a shitty movie or a shittily made movie. Like, it all if, feels intentional. If anything, especially, uh, I, I was really impressed watching it um, near the end when the house is... Um, you know, the, the, what kung fu, uh, gets eaten by a lamp. Her head gets eaten by a lamp. Oh, yeah, she's right. And her yeah. bottom half, because I don't know, she's such a badass, her bottom half flies through the air and manages <laughs> double to. Double dragon kick. Yeah, double dragon <laughs> kick the, uh, the, the painting of the cat, which, uh, I guess we haven't brought which up is, the cat, but yeah, the cat the, is kind the of the iconic is, poster for the film. Yeah, it's Auntie's familiar, sort of, I think is the idea. It, it's yeah. like sort of a focal point of her powers. Every time something supernatural happens, the they cut to the cat and the cat's eyes glow <laughs> green. green. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And so, you know, the the painting of the cat gets kicked. And, of course, you know, it's some, you know, representation of her power. And so it, where she kicks it, blood starts spurting out. And, of course, the entire house over the course of, like, you know, a few minutes starts flooding it with blood. It floods with blood. I mean, yeah. flood to the point where they're, they're like, you know, Titanic-style, like, lying on a door, you know, yeah, like a raft. And... um that scene I thought was like this is actually like well done like that uh-huh. had to be hard to do and they're like you know rafting through this house on this and river the little, of like, blood flaps at the top of the doors and stuff I was just, keeps yeah, hitting her I was yeah. wondering how did they 
like do this seemed very impressive. Yeah, and it was like catch somebody else on camera. It was like extremely tense and climactic in a way that a climactic scene should be. Where like it was like legitimately like it felt like a crescendo. Like mm-hmm. it was like the it was obviously the climax of the movie. Yeah. Um. People like like one of the uh was it Prof? She like fell into the blood and was like submerged in it and was she like was drowning. She dissolved. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Obayashi described it as dissolving. And during that scene, they like. Uh, dumped blue paint on her naked body to get it to like chroma key, like just look like she was dissolving. And he's like, yeah, I didn't know. It, was, it, on her, it right? was one of those shots that's like, I don't know if it was going to work out, but it did. So cool. It kind of <laughs> did. Yeah. It's weirdly anticlimactic, too, because there is, you know, she she does. I think at the end, they're kind of hinting that, uh, you know, there's some secret that could finally, you know, defeat the the aunt. And there's a, a book or a journal, I guess the aunt's journal that she had that explains that uh, she's this evil witch now because her um, her husband to be, I guess, yeah. left and died uh, in World War Two, died in World War. But II. she never figured out that he left. Or that that he died. She she was that was never confirmed. She thought that and he she was never, still alive and yeah, coming back. She never believed, and so she becomes this immortal. It's kind of in lich, this house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very tied, much like a lich tied house. to this earthly realm, or her body, her spirit has gone on, but the, the body has kind of and, yeah. turned evil and become like this house power, and so she's tied to the the physical location of the house where she will await her her. Uh, um, her husband to be forever and uh is also like i don't know if this is ever explicitly said in the movie i think it is but she's drawing life force from the young girls yeah, yeah. like that's how yep. she sustains herself she, she starts walking after the first one is eaten <laughs> right know. that's right yeah she, yeah. she becomes younger and more vital she was in a wheelchair after the first one dies she's very conspicuously walking around i love how little the auntie tries to hide what she's doing like after the first one dies, she starts walking around, and like after the second one dies, she like does a dance with a skeleton, and like <laughs> yeah, yeah. the cat Skele- starts singing. Dances. It's wild. Uh, the, ske- the dancing skeleton. Yeah, it's Dance, like the dancing best. skeleton. This movie, I think, uh, kind of weirdly owes maybe a lot to like Fantasia, like the Sorcerer's oh, Apprentice. Interesting. Like, this, okay. There, you know, there's scenes of this movie. Uh, you know, for when the girls first show up, the aunt is kind of showing them around the house, and she keeps like talking to the pieces of furniture, and the pieces of furniture are like kind of dancing mm-hmm. and like clearly like you know waiting for like I'm going to eat one of those girls. Um, and yeah, there's this skeleton that there's this one of the only kind of like faux jump scares in this movie uh-huh. is the skeleton kind of popping out in one it's of the It's the girls. least realistic looking skeleton ever. Oh, it's it like it's like, like a, a Halloween decoration. Like, like in a, a science lab at school. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's one of the, wearing a lab coat. But like less less realistic even than that. It, even, yeah. Even that jump shot, jump scare is not shot like a jump scare. No. It's like one continuous shot that just yeah. like sort of backs out once you see the mm-hmm. skeleton. It's so good. And the skeleton for the rest of the movie just keeps showing up in the background of shots. You know, there'll be a a girl playing a piano, Melody playing the piano, and the skeleton will just be kind of weirdly in the background, just kind of dancing with dance. its arms, kind of like moving up and, and, and down. Really like purposely dolly so you can see it was hit. <laughs> it's like a really purposeful artsy shot to see that skeleton. It's doing like a New Orleans jazz dance. Yeah, you know at one I mean? point, like a, well, at one point, the skeleton and Auntie do like a choreographed like line dance together. Guys, this movie fucking kicks ass. It rules. This movie's yeah, really good. We should say that it, yeah, it's very, very good. Yeah, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the story and the themes that popped out to you guys i know that harry was talking about like the um, <laughs> vestiges of of like the war and how I, be- I believe i said much like uh never mind i just had a slight <laughs> I'll, I'll take it from here wow yeah you remember please. you remember that while i'm doing this i are you okay i don't know <laughs> i one of the 
Obayashi said that one of the th- one of the reasons that there were seven girls is because it's apparently, and I couldn't find sources on this, but it, it was traditional in Japan to have most teams composed of seven people, um, including uh, American people who would put out fires after American bombing raids. So that was one of the th- things that played into the themes of it. Again, we mentioned that he was born in Hiroshima in the late 30s and that he watched a lot of his childhood friends die as a result of the testing of the atomic bomb. Um so, uh, well, use of the atomic bomb. Did I say testing? Testing, yeah. Yeah, they tested how it effectively was it would kill something people. of a test. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, so he said that the idea of seven girls came naturally to me, but that uh, having the house eat them for no reason was ridiculous. He said, <laughs> as opposed to what the film actually was <laughs> being, apparently. So I made the house uh, haunted by a woman whose lover never returned from the war, and he said that the juxtaposition of that woman. So tainted by hate and rage and time and war uh, was a good contrast to the girls, which, again, quote from Obayashi, who were born after the war and unaware of how precious peace is, spend spend their summer vacation there, that the woman's bitterness about the war turns into an evil spirit and devours the girls. So literally, like, just using, like, cultural signifiers of the war as the reason that these girls end up dying. That, by the way, the thing that prompted my... um, release from this podcast and sort of like <laughs> departure suddenly yeah, i forgot like my favorite author's name just now i don't know how that happened but haruki murakami oh. uh i i did a classic thing where we have a group chat and we were talking about this movie beforehand and i made like a really pointedly pretentious oh, yeah. stupid remark Sorry. but then and then covered it by saying, in, I'm not actually going to say that. Yeah, it, but in, then in, in classic narcissist fashion, I was like, wait a minute, that was a good point. Let me research this and see if I can make it fit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right, Google exactly. A few I, things like, here. I think, I think and, uh, looking into the, my like, thought process for I put together 100% of my college yeah, papers. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. Stupid-ass idea. It's like, wait a minute. Research to support uh-huh. it. Uh, like, college papers do you think was written on how to in film school? Not enough. More <laughs> yeah. should be written. Like, even in English. I, I, didn't, like, I didn't hear about it until after I graduated college, so somebody really fucked up and not telling me about how you didn't you didn't hear okay i remember um like on the i don't know like the something awful forums circa like 2010 so this movie i I think criterion released it in 2010 that's Um, when it kind of came back right yeah that's when i saw it in 2009 okay so that makes sense i remember reading like whispers about this movie about guys this movie is bonkers it is it is some weird stuff and i remember hearing about it late in high school i want to say um, and it just kind of slipped my mind. I think this movie, I mean, more than anything else, and we haven't talked about it, but I'd, I'd be interested to know, did you read anything about the poster that, that it's the iconic poster of the, the cat? cat. Yeah, yeah, there's a the fantastic the poster. DVD. Um, it's, it's also on shirts. I believe one of the shirts yeah. at the Trilon was, at wearing. The trilon was it's wearing. It's the most it. iconic, it's the like, um, I'm going to order this poster off. Like, somebody made the, uh, a kind of a bootleg copy of this on Etsy, and I'm going to order it and frame yeah, it. It's sure. like the most iconic version of that. Which has um, helped the movie's marketing considerably. It's right? a cool poster. It's, so yeah. it's really cool. And it's also like. <laughs> Great that, that we're describing visuals on a podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. But, but that fits just in, right? Like, this would be the movie that would have the best possible, like, movie poster, right? Because that. It fits into the, it's yeah. like it's marketing sort of like acumen where like this was built to be something. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I I haven't heard anything about the poster. First time I heard about this movie actually was Tim Turry, who at the time I believe was still working at Game Informer. But Shout out, a, yeah, Tim Turry. Thank you for uh, great accidentally dude. turning yeah. me on to this movie. But yeah, <laughs> John knows him intimately. <laughs> He's a big video game guy. Happy birthday! Wasn't it just Tim's birthday a I couple think days it was, ago? Pretty recently, yeah, three Happy days ago. Again, congratulations on staying. Uh, Alive, staying sexy. <laughs> We're going to um, talk a little bit about how I got into this movie. It was talking 
with him at a Halloween party, and he mentioned it as just like a crazy movie. He didn't tell me anything about it, but he's like, just go see it first opportunity you can. And then I bought the Criterion, and I'm like, why not? It's half off. But yeah, that's the first. That was my first exposure to House. Was actually like watching House, and I think mm-hmm. that probably was the best way. To Hell yeah, to do the movie. yeah, by by myself. Oh shit, I didn't have anybody with me. Yeah. Maybe my dog was there, but that's it. The dog we did. What the fuck is this? We did spend like 20 minutes talking about it being a group movie. You know, I know just a bit know, earlier and, in the podcast. Yeah, I, I will say that I enjoyed watching it in a group more than I enjoy watching it alone because I can laugh and have people laugh with me. I can like. I wasn't sort of scared, shutter. you know. I, I, I had other people to lean on. <laughs> it's funny because I, I was in L.A. when this came out on Criterion into the states for the first time. They kept playing the trailer at the New Beverly, which is like the trilon of L.A. I would keep going to. But they played the trailer for it before every movie in anticipation for it coming out, and everyone was going wild for the trailer. So it was so, anticip- yeah. it was so, um, yeah, everyone was anticipating. I mean, it, and it looked to me like the craziest fucking movie. So I went and saw it first chance I could get, and it was the best experience. I, I have to admit. I was super tired that night and fell asleep in the third act. Because it was one of those movies where it's like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, all. it is. How do you fall asleep during this movie? It is kind of one I of those suck. movies that, like, it's 88 minutes and it feels longer than that, which is not uh, necessarily a bad thing. Because you're just yeah. reeling. Like, through half the yeah. movie, you're just trying to remember what you just saw. Well, and, and there's that thing about, like, how. Um, what is it that, like, the less plot something has or, like, the less sort of. Uh, um, conventional structure the longer it feels that's why like like conceptual films feel so much longer than than traditional sort of feature length plot movies do uh because like the less you have to sort of like guide you through something the the more um ponderous it maybe feels and uh there are a lot of there are like really long scenes in this movie with like utter chaos where like nobody's in control and nobody knows what's happening and that probably contributes some to that feeling um which is not to say that i forgive you for falling asleep during this (laughs) it's fucked up dude yeah it's fucked up uh I fell asleep during the Dark Knight and the first time it came in theaters. Uh, that's that deserves, mu- that deserves it. it much more, yeah. <laughs> it's still a good movie. I like that's the Dark Knight. Like that movie's like three hours long, isn't it? Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, Rashomon is 83 minutes long. Uh, Rashomon <laughs> is 86 minutes long, 86. right? Ideal. Yeah. It's ideal. It's the ideal length for all movies. I think I was, ar- was I arguing with you about this, that I think that movie feels longer than it is. Because well, that's because it's, it's, a, it's the same story. It's kind of an anthology. Yeah, yeah, and it's something about like short story anthologies just makes it feel so much longer. Yeah, but it is ideal. Like, that. you're going to repeat a story four times, limit yourself to... Yeah. to you better to be, like, one of the best directors, you know, of all time <laughs> yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. going to do that. It turns out Rashomon's a pretty good movie. Luckily, yeah. luckily, it was. it's a good movie. Um, so I want to, if, if nobody else is going to uh, talk more about the story and themes that popped out to you guys in this movie. Obviously, there are a whole, there's a whole I was going to say some stuff about it, and then we didn't because I lost we, Haruki we Murakami's <laughs> name because I mean, yeah, it snapped in your head and you're right. just... <laughs> so uh, there are pretty specific plot corollaries to like after effects of the war on Japanese culture and like the bridging of generations. I think so. It sounds like, it sounds like there's something uh, you wanted to yeah. say about that. Well, I, the pretentious bullshit that I said in the group chat was that much like Haruki Murakami's seminal The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle... <laughs> The specter of World War II looms large over this movie. <laughs> you did not say it like that. I, I, I think He's I actually ex- just reading off the back of the Criterion <laughs> Blu-ray we've got in front of us. Webster's but, Dictionary defines house as a... <laughs> yeah. uh, but, Offensive meditation on... But I, I think that my favorite scene of the movie is a scene where they do a flashback to World War II um, to recount the auntie's backstory. And the way they do it is they, they do it in this sepia-toned 
it's like, like a storybook kind of but but also it's a film it's like very pointedly like a film reel and like they shoot it in a film reel style where you can see the reels moving and the whole time it's happening all seven girls are offering a running commentary like they're watching the movie itself oh he looks cute wow he looks cute at one point there's a film burn effect when they kiss and they talk about the film burn effect as if they're watching the movie reel. <laughs> yeah. And there's absolutely no framing for this in the movie itself. Like I think they're, they're reading from the journal. They're correct? reading from the journal, yeah. so it's not a film, but they're talking about it as if it is a film. And meta commentary. I, <laughs> I mean, like a little, like, yeah. a, like a little bit. Uh, it, it feels. I know it, it's it's like the height of like Engl- English major silliness to like to like read into things very seriously in this movie uh also that specifically (laughs) yeah yeah. but like it it goes to show like how these this is a movie about a girl's imagination right where like you can make the point that like gorgeous is like having this sort of like it's it's sort of a metaphorical journey for her in this house a 13 year old wrote most of the plot beats right Yeah. yeah and it's it's gorgeous is similarly sort of of that coming of age age as are all of her friends Mm -hmm. and like World War Two is so inescapable in this movie, even before it is explicitly tied to the movie's plot. It's something that is sort of thought about and like something that the girls are thinking about where mm-hmm. like it's mythologized in a weird way where, like I said, they're talking about it as if it's a movie. It's it's sort of it's detached from reality. It's become this sort of story that, that the is, girls yeah. are thinking about. That sounds silly, but I agree with you. Right. Uh, yeah. It doesn't sound silly to me. Like. Well, I guess I didn't mean I, it, I, I didn't mean it was a bad point. I just, I just think it's a different plane of thought than you guys. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, no, well, like, oh God, it, yeah. it's it's really telling to me that they get really excited about like the uh, romantic aspect of of Auntie's relationship with this guy, and they only like casually mention that he was actually killed in a war. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like during this retelling, they they but, like, touch on that there's violence in the world and stuff, but mostly they're excited, they're titillated by like that red hot. Kiss but that I burns I don't film. I don't think this is an indictment of the girl's imagination or how the girls are thinking about World War II. I think it, if anything, it seems like it's an indictment of the auntie yeah. and her inability to move forward from or reconcile with the consequences of World War II. Oh, absolutely. And maybe that's a, a Western reading, obviously. Um, I'm a white dude um, from <laughs> America. <laughs> but like all of us are white guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll always remember that as if you could forget. Uh, <laughs> Can you hear it in our voices? <laughs> yeah. Um, in my voice. But... Uh, it's it's fascinating to me that this is like it's a movie about a person who's unable to move forward or reconcile with the consequences of World War Two, both to her personally, but also sort of in a more in a broader cultural context. Right. Where like she is in this house that she has always lived in and she is like waiting for someone to come back from World her War Two who yeah. will never <laughs> who yeah. will never come back. And the people who feel the effects of this inability to move on are the children. Are the like the subsequent generation, particularly the girls, the women, the people mm-hmm. who were left behind? This this woman was left behind by World War Two. She can't move forward, and she visits her spite and rage and sadness over that on the subsequent generations of people who were like her, who who have uh, never known how precious peace is. Again, according to Obayashi right. himself, like yeah, it's it's important words. to point out that Obayashi was very open about working these themes into this was an accident and yeah yeah. there's definitely a a generational thing here for sure especially with uh uh, you know when they're traveling 
to the house. I think it's mentioned a few times and maybe even a few times when they're at the house um, that there used to be kind of a big youthful town uh, near the house and there used to be people in the area and that now everybody's kind of moved away or the, the aunt ate them, I guess. Right. Um, but uh, no times have kind of aunties. changed. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty same film. I, uh, it is worth, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's worth mentioning that um, when this movie released, just as an aside, Huge among younger audiences. Older audiences just rejected it, reviled it, mm-hmm. hated That's it. That's why yeah. I made his Gave money. The kids are all right. All 18-year-olds, 15-year-olds. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I mean, people who were probably too young to be seeing it loved it. And critics it was huge it. among it was, them. It was the probably critics, a yeah. very, I could see it being a very hip movie, huh? Yeah. I mean, it still is sort of a weird hipster movie. It has but, sort of eclipsed that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's sort of ringing true again to that divide between... It's uh, it's worth noting also that uh, the original title for this film, I I think before he decided to give it a very conspicuously foreign name, was Hanagatami, which means flower basket in English, which is sort of an interesting name for this movie, right? Like it 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 is a pretty pointed uh, Freudian reference to women, mm-hmm. to girls specifically, and sort of flowering and coming of age and. Um, uh, I think Hanagatami went. He went on to make a movie called that, which is like just a, at least from what I, from what little I read about it, is like a straight up war drama, like is a it? romantic war drama. I know that came out last year. Yeah, last year. I almost forgot what year it was. Yeah. Just now. I can't wait to go through this guy's filmography. I know. Like, I, yeah. Is, he he made like he was pretty prolific. He, yeah. I don't know that any of it over ever forty saw, like, films, I believe. Yeah, and he's still alive. His last movie was still last year. Have you seen any of his other movies or no? I haven't. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think I will, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would love There's to. The Trilon showing any... Uh, yeah. I don't believe so. I wonder if um, if it would like sort of ruin the mythos behind this movie, though, to see other things that he's made. I don't know. I mean, he just he's so just coming off of what I what the Hollywood Reporter described as a trilogy of anti-war films. Uh, Hot damn. Uh, Casting Blossoms to the Sky in 2012, Seven Weeks in uh, 2014, and Hanagatami in 2017. So, like, he's still doing, like... Yeah cool stuff and I guess Hanagatami was described as highly experimental so he hasn't lost <laughs> that <laughs> that, that Halsu spark uh, so yeah I hope he doesn't milkshake duck <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yeah well if they were all like Halsu or had that similar style I don't think they would be because I kind of want this guy to go and do different genres and different types of films. Like I don't think there could be another house So I hope they're not like house right yeah. for yeah. sure but that was what was so interesting to me about this movie and why I think it it stands up so well in the sort of like, maybe this is me being pretentious, but like it's not just a reaction against consumerism uh, or like a crazy avant-garde off the wall bullshit experiment. It's like all of those things exist and are important, but they also couch this legitimately subversive, like, like this seems like to me, like the most hidden you could possibly make a legitimate critique of Japanese culture. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, but, but like, it seems to me legitimately like it is a critique of Japanese culture. Yeah, I think all you need to do is go back to those quotes from Obayashi to, like, exactly what he says. Yeah. About wanting to make a movie that, like, encapsulated the themes of, uh, you know, the, the, that he had sort of, that sort of were baked into him as a kid uh, when he was growing up in a place that was nuked, right? Like, yeah. he wanted to specifically put those things into the movie. I don't know how, what, like, what sort of experience or authority he had to make a movie about young girls specifically, but like sure, a that's a good generation. Point. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely fits. Yeah. Uh, read the wind up bird chronicle. <laughs> 
that's a it's my maybe my favorite book it's great yeah it's yeah i think he's one i don't know if this is toho's decision or his but it just seems like it wanted to be an entertaining movie where, where like you said it can kind of hide those ideas in there but it's going for a big budget crowd jaws type mm-hmm. picture it was a big old fu to pretty much everybody yeah but, right but also like we should we should say that like that wasn't the point quote unquote like i'm not this is it's sort of a total recall situation again right we're mm. like it's not that the secret hidden meaning of this movie is to be this sort of critique of yeah. japan japan's inability to move forward from the the culture and consequences of world war Two. it is like the point is to be a bombastic avant-garde yeah. ridiculous yeah. movie you and want to be able is, to watch it fantastic because for that i'm not saying that like you have to like come at it from that perspective at all mm-hmm. i think it it totally is amazing to watch as like just a yeah. hilarious mm-hmm. thing this one of the weirdest paths of any movie i mean there's you know you look at all these crazy indie movies that cult movies that have kind of gotten weird followings from time to time but house has i think one of the most original stories behind it just in terms of how it found its audience it found its success and found its its place in cult films. The making of this movie is still my favorite part, how he like just basically marketed himself for two years. Yeah. After, after like getting like a pretty warm shoulder from this very prestigious Japanese like uh, production company. Toho he, is like the that was like yeah. the company at the it time. It was it, right? yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just how how he just pushed it himself <laughs> and got like merch and like imagine that happening today. It wouldn't happen yeah, yeah. today, you know? Well if it happened today it would happen it would be a Kickstarter. Well, hey guys, fund my movie. Well, yeah. it, would, it would be a lot more winky uh, and sort of like yeah. uh, oh, conspicuous. Oh, it's the same thing. I mean, Sharknado. I mean, you mentioned I haven't right, seen Verdemic, exactly. but like, there, uh, I, I hate, I the hate guy from that Verdemic kind did of. That. He, would, he drove around Sundance passing out cards of his movie to people. I don't know. Uh, I, I, that, I think I I'm. I like. Maybe <laughs> I'm not. Puzzle. I know a lot of people feel very strongly this way. Maybe I, I don't feel that strongly, but I, I think I do still think like you can't try to make a B-movie, right? Like, yeah. it, there's something that's lost in that yeah, translation. It, yeah, it depends how it's but like, taken care of. Like, the the famous argument is that, like, Room could never have been made on purpose, right? Or no, something room. like that. Not the, sorry, The Room. <laughs> yeah, not not Room with Brie Larson. Room was definitely made on with purpose. With Academy yeah. Award winner Brie Larson, yeah. Uh, she stumbled her way into that award. Everybody knows it. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. There's so That's why so many of those fucking B-movies fail, is because... Like Sharknado, which I never got the point of that, but it's there's like six of them, and they hadn't really failed. Unfortunately, are they all shit? just uh, like I know we're kind of off the rails. Are they all shit? Yeah, so I had to watch a ton of them because uh, my my dad, my parents were in Australia for a number of months, uh, and I visited them for a few weeks, and um, they're not really outdoors people, which is yeah. So they're not outdoors people, so they you know kind of stayed inside and same. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I respect it, but they're they're you know in a, uh, Alaska. So did I say Alaska, or Australia? You said Australia. They That's live in Australia. Wondering. They were in Alaska because uh. my dad had a teaching thing at a university there. And yeah, they would just watch. It was like Sharknado Marathon. They were doing like one what? each day. And so every yeah, can we eat, get them on the podcast? <laughs> no, they don't rule those. They're they're ter- It's just the worst kind of purposefully dumb that like. I love my parents, but it's it's <laughs> like I, when I think of like Sharknado's audience, I'm just like, is it just my parents? Are they the audience for Sharknado? Like, who is watching these I films? Like frat bros, honestly, they're like, oh, this is funny. Let's should, get drunk. You should show them House. I should show them. They like horror movies too. They, you know, they they like good they movies too. It. But uh, I should I should get them to watch House for yeah. sure. House is great. I, it is a great movie. I think I like it more now than I even liked it 
when we were watching it. And that was and your first time seeing it. I walked it. Yeah, it was my first time seeing it. Unlike either of you, right? Or any of you? I had uh, I had not seen it before. Okay, it was your first time too? Three times now. One time I fell asleep. I saw it once in total before watching it at a trial on <laughs> John had fallen asleep in the middle of it before. He'd seen it 2.7 times. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a fresh experience. But I, I was like, I was giddy after it. Like, I, I think it's such a, it's like a triumph. Like, it's so fun to watch and like so fun to experience, especially in a crowd like that. Um, Good for people of all ages. Um, <laughs> It's a family honestly, film. It's honestly, a film you can like, bring your family it's to. It's got some spooky stuff. It's got some like more violent stuff, but it doesn't look. It's, it's got not some nudity. Real. It's not realistic. Like the blood. It's not super. When the room is filled with blood, it looks so watery. It's like water with. Like, yeah, it's color. obviously <laughs> water, right? All of it is. Like, there's one of the other pretty good scary parts is when they're drinking water from like the tap, and it just turns to blood, and nobody yeah. notices it. But even that, like, it just looks like Kool Aid. It doesn't yeah, look yeah. like blood at all. Yeah. Um, That's the aesthetic of at one point, Mac like Mac's disembodied head pukes a bunch of blood after mm. biting somebody's ass, and like that, the blood is just totally just water that just comes like streaming yep. out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is high art. Let me tell you, the piano scene's fucked up. Yeah, let's. Talk I about wasn't gonna. Piano. I wasn't gonna bring it up, but it's it's really it's really fucked up. There's a <laughs> p- a, p- a piano eats uh, somebody in the Melody. so pianos. You know, obviously symbols of kind of uh, the, the the main kind of family the room in the house. In Amer- oh, never mind. What? No, oh, it's black, white. No, the and ivory. No, well, no, it's the you know it's the symbol of uh, the family room in a house. You know, before sure. there were uh, you know everybody just playing video games, looking at their phones. The racial divide in my living room. No, <laughs> people would gather in rooms, and there'd be piano. Someone would be playing the piano. It's a nice family room, and it's fucked up that there's a piano that eats a woman in this movie. It's it's really unnatural. Pianos are supposed to do that. Visibly shaken. It's it's fucked up. Okay, music is nice. It brings people together, and a woman gets horribly eaten by a Maybe. piano. Do you do you play piano, or have you played piano? No. Will you ever play piano? No. Not anymore. Not, I'm <laughs> certainly not even approaching a piano. It's done in the most horrific way. Like it's the scene's like six minutes and that was it's always so long. That's that is a legitimate thing about yeah. that scene, is and that it goes on like forever. Mixing that beautiful theme with just a tonal slapping of the keys. Really, uh, yeah. good scene. The the piano eats her fingers off and then the her her fingers, her broken off, bitten Nubbies. off fingers That's continue to play the piano. That was hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty I, like, great. Couldn't stop laughing on that part. They're the fingers look Aaron so, was shaken. Yeah, <laughs> shook me to my so core. Tense. Anyways, this movie is bad. Don't see this movie. Uh, it's fucked <laughs> up. One eighty from seven minutes ago. <laughs> uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi, DM me. <laughs> he, he, he might be on Twitter. I don't know that guy. Uh, so yeah, that's House. Um, Nineteen seventy-seven. Eighty-eight minutes long. Uh, go see it wherever see you it can. In a theater with a crowd at home. Will Preferably, the, yeah. At home will be depressing. I imagine. It, it is. Uh, Thank watch you it for if, reminding you know, me of yeah. a low state I was in when I first watched that movie. Yeah, it is not, it is not an Ingmar Bergman movie you watch at home. This is fucking a crowd. <laughs> you watch Ingmar Bergman alone at home? Those are, those are alone movies. You watch Wild Strawberries by yourself. You just feel yourself. more alone yeah. by the time you're done. <laughs> I just want to bring Ingmar Bergman up. Is that all right? For we no should have done podcasts about that. What? Those movies. We saw three Igmar Bergman movies at yeah, the Trilon. Yeah, before we were podcasting. Yeah. That would have, Hour of the Wolf, the Shame, and Cries and Whispers would have been yeah. a heavy podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to <laughs> anyway. the Trilon. I think that's the end of it, right? Is that the end of it? I, yeah. Have we milked everything we're going to get out of this one? Yeah. We've milked it. Milked yeah. the house. No, please stop saying milk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
thanks for listening to Try Love episode whatever about house. Um, go see it. It's whether it's a Halloween movie for you or not. And you yeah. can buy the house um, t-shirt off the Criterion website. They have like five t-shirts on there, which are just the Criterion logos and Janus films. And then there's just the house t-shirt. <laughs> awesome. I might yeah. legitimately that, buy that. Yeah, I'm probably going to do it that. It is a beautiful shirt. Uh, thanks to the Tryline for putting it on. Uh, it's great. I hope they do it every year. Thanks I'll, for pr- I'll probably audiences. go back next year. Yeah, thank you for, for trying on audiences. Assholes. For being pretty cool. Uh, the Parkway has terrible audiences. They can. Let's not Let's start go. something on this Let's podcast, go. you know? Uh, Trilon's got great audience. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Uh, tune in next time for whatever our next movie is. Wanda. It's Wanda. We're, We're doing Wanda. it right now. All right. So. Bye. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>